Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, that's your goal and mine as we get together each weeknight for this program, Praying for America. I'm pro-life leader Frank Pavone. I head up the one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, Priests for Life, and it's great to have you with us again tonight. There's always one thing you know whenever President Trump speaks, and I want to explain what that is to you tonight. There's also a lot more data coming out that is bad news for Biden in this presidential election. I don't even think anymore he's going to be the nominee. Uh, we discussed that a little bit in recent programs. Uh, and... Um, there's another key group that Biden is losing support with, by the way. We'll talk about that, too. And there's something I want to mention and ask, why is Biden allowing this if he cares at all about America? And this is the kind of thing that, you know, these are the kind of things he should be impeached for. It doesn't have to be crimes. It doesn't have to be some high mountain of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. It just has to be betraying the trust of the country. We've talked about that, too. I want to talk about the U.S. Senate. We're going to win back the Senate in 2024. I want to give you a few states to really be particularly focused on. Let us put all this in the light of the Word of God, as we always do. And I want to start off, because I want to start off with a couple of questions about a key issue that the Republicans and conservatives are having a little bit of trouble dealing with, and I want to give you some guidance on it. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, the final judgment. You know, we are all journeying towards the final judgment, not just as individuals, as nations. Scripture says it is appointed that we die once and then be judged. We have the individual judgment. Scripture also says in the passage we're about to read that God will have a gathering of all the nations before his throne and there will be a general judgment. So there's the individual judgment. There's the general judgment publicly separating the good from the evil. Let's read that passage, and I want to apply it to a key issue, which for many politicians and many voters is a problematic one, though Though, though, there's a way to navigate through that problematic uh, issue. Let's uh, talk here. Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Let us pray. Lord, we look out across the landscape of America. We see many issues that affect many people. We know, Lord God, that government has a limited role to care for the sick and the poor, that, Lord God, you call us to personal generosity. You call your people, you call us as individuals, you call us as families, you call us as a church. Yes, the government has its part to do, but Lord, the burden of loving one another arises from the depths of the human heart and soul and is to be carried out by the free activity of the citizens. And so Lord, today we look across the landscape of America, we see so many people in need. We look across our own neighborhoods. We look in our own families and among our friends. We see so much need. May that need, rather than overwhelm us, inspire us. Because we see you. We see you, Lord God, and the people who need our help. And our love for you enables us to love them. Bless our service, including to the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, the smallest of the small. Bless our service, Lord, and empower us to serve and to save every human person, including those still in the womb. Bless us, Lord, as we move forward to build a culture of life, a nation of love. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, many as they work to save America and preserve the values we hold in this country, are having trouble dealing with the issue of abortion. And this is my this issue is my full-time focus, and I've spoken about it before, often actually on this program. Look at it in the light of the scripture that we just read. The work of saving life is indeed up to us as individuals, as families, as churches, as organizations and ministries and different initiatives, ours is one of them, Priests for Life, pro-life organization. There are many, many pro-life organizations. But the point is, there, there is some role here for the government. There is a, a role here for the government because what we're talking about are the same 
kind of lives that Jesus was talking about in this passage. We're not talking about an abstract issue. We're not talking about, you know, problems or, or, or issues like what are they, what is, what is the, uh, uh, the mean income of a family or, or, or what are the, the inflation levels. We're talking about flesh and blood here. We're talking about human beings. Is it indeed possible to say that there's going to be a limit or a condition under which we will protect a human life? Is that really subject to debates and calculations? There are certain things that transcend debates and calculations. People can, can, can begin to figure out, well, there's, oh, there's this much inflation we can tolerate, or there's this many um, intruders into the the border that we can that we can find tolerable or this much level of crime is manageable but when we're talking about the question of whether or not a human life will be protected whether or not a human life will be killed can we really begin making distinctions of between one person and another or their age or their other characteristics you can't split the baby. Let's, let's think about another scriptural passage here. Remember when, uh, well, let's look it up here. It's in the first book of Kings. <clears throat> and uh, there's a dispute between two mothers. Remember the judgment of Solomon? There's a dispute between two mothers. Let's see where this, uh, where this comes up here in, uh, in the first book of Kings. Chapter 3. Uh, Solomon's wisdom. Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. This starts in verse 16. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was still in the house. That on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in this house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king 
because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. You see, he put the love of those two women to the test. He put their love for the child to the test so that those maternal instincts could come to the fore and the people could see the difference of how these two women actually regarded that child. And that was the test of who was the true mother. But the test I'm putting forward here for you in regard to America and the abortion issue is you can't split the baby. The point I'm making is the right to life, which is mentioned in our Declaration of Independence. When we talk about the right to life, people think of a movement. Oh, it's the right to life movement. Oh, it's the anti-abortion movement. It's the Declaration of Independence. We all have the right to life. We're created equal, not born equal, created equal. And this is a right given by our creator. This is our founding document. What does it say? Governments are instituted to secure these rights. What rights? The first one mentioned is life. Let's take a step back here. The right to life is explicitly, we're not inferring it. We're not deducing it. We're not interpreting it. We're reading it. The right to life bestowed by the Creator is a right that governments are instituted to secure. So you want to know what duty, what role the government has in the abortion issue? It's to secure the right to life. So we can't split the baby. The reality here is Solomon said, okay, you're going to argue over this child. Here's a sword. Cut the baby in half. No, 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 no. A true mother says, no, you can't do that. And all of us have to say, no, you can't do that. Because you don't put the sword to the right to life. You don't put the sword to life itself. You break the principle that we all have the right to life. We have the right to be protected. You break that at any point along the spectrum, and you've compromised it at every point. Unless we are all protected, we're all in danger. Because if the fundamental principle that government has to secure the right to life is broken, well then on what principle does the protection of your life stand? If the protection of your life is going to depend on a law that says we're going to protect this group of people but not that group, well then how safe are you? You're only as safe as the outcome of the next election. The protection of your life shouldn't depend on the outcome of the next election. The protection of your life should depend on the fact that you can't, you can't split the baby. You can't take an innocent human life. Your life should always be protected no matter who's in office. Your life should always be protected no matter who's on the court. Your life should always be protected no matter what the opinion polls say. So we're arguing about abortion now as to in terms of how many babies should we protect. How is that even a question in the first place? People can debate about what kind of laws we should have. But brothers and sisters, you can't split the baby. Are we talking about the right to life or not? Is government instituted to secure that right or not? Shouldn't we be saying, instead of debating which babies or how many babies or how far into the pregnancy we're going to protect life, shouldn't we be debating a more fundamental question? Who are we as legislators? Who are we as courts? Who are we as a government to think we can even ask the question or think we even have the authority? to say what people we are going to exclude 
from being dismembered. Final thought about this. We're looking at the terrorism taking place across the world over there in the Middle East. That terrorism has to be stopped. What has awakened and infuriated the consciences of so many millions of people? The, the slaughtering of babies. I mean, any kind of slaughtering of the innocent is wrong. We see these videos. Isn't it the slaughtering of babies, the beheading of babies that has most outraged and disgusted people and made them look at these people and say, you're, you're, you're demons, you're savages, you're barbarians, you are, you're evil, you have to be stopped. Nobody can, nobody can justify the killing of a baby. So, brothers and sisters, isn't that what we're talking about when it comes to abortion? We're not talking about terroristic intent in the hearts of the moms going to these clinics. We know that. We help these women every day. But the fact of the matter is it's still a baby, and it's still a procedure that dismembers the baby, and it still boils down to the fact that there is no justification for doing that, even to a single baby. Would we ever say, in, in response to solving the problem of terrorism, that it's okay to kill a certain number of babies or okay to kill them as long as they're below a certain age? Let's, let's, let's start thinking clearly about this. It takes a lot of moral courage to turn the corner on this issue. But what other way is there to guide us through it? Okay, those are my thoughts to start off here tonight. We are going to win back the U.S. Senate, friends. We have to win back the U.S. Senate. The retirement of Joe Manchin, his declaration that he's not going to run for Senate, puts West Virginia it clearly in the Republican column, a switch from Democrat to Republican. Remember, the Senate is razor thin, and so we've got already with that, if everything else remains the same, we're back to a 50-50 split in our favor. We've also got to look, and I want the people in these states to pay particular attention from now and be particularly active now in the Senate races. We're going to be talking about this in our election training calls. And again, you can sign up at ProLifeVote.com. That's our main election website. ProLifeVote.com. We're going to be talking about these Senate races. Montana, time for Tester to go. Montana is a conservative state. It's a very red state. It's a state that does not buy into a lot of the very votes that Tester has taken in the Senate. Just take his public voting record and look at it. If you're a resident, if you're a voter in Montana, take Tester's voter voting record and ask yourself, do you believe in these things? The guy has got to be voted out. Arizona, with Cinema running as an independent, Carrie Lake can win that race. That'll be another flip for us. Also winnable, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Oh, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Montana, West Virginia, certainly. Let's get these states back in the Republican column for the U.S. Senate. You think about the Senate, you got to think about confirmations. Confirmations to the U.S. Supreme Court if there are more vacancies. Confirmations to the other federal courts. Confirmations to the cabinet. You know, we're going to be electing a president. We can't isolate that race from the Senate race because the president needs a cabinet who are consist of strong conservative people who are fighters, not just conservative in their mind, ready to fight for those things. America first. And the Senate's got to confirm these people. We want cabinet officials, furthermore, and other other 
federal positions that need to be confirmed in the administration. Many, many positions are Senate confirmable. We need not only the task done right, that the strongest conservative people meet with a majority of the votes in the Senate. We need it done quickly. And the stronger our majority in the Senate, the more quickly these confirmations can be done, which means the more quickly these people are put into their positions after January 20th of 2025, which means the more quickly the work gets done of rebuilding America. Okay. Biden's losing support among the Arabs. Now, this is an interesting um, observation that's been made. Um, you look at his popularity. In 2020, my goodness, what a drop. You got 59% of the Arab American vote. And now, projecting the 2024, it's only down to 17%. This is the first time the Democrats have lost this particular majority. That's a big drop. Of course, we know what's going on, and uh, and we see the um, we see the 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 uh, uh, well. No matter which way you look at it, Biden is uh, just blundering on foreign policy, uh, left and right, um, saying a lot of the right things, doing a lot of the wrong things. When it comes to this. Um, Charlie McCarthy wrote a um, poll talking about this, how it affects young people, everything that's going on with Hamas attack on Israel. And young Americans, he says, um, he quotes uh, uh, Della Volpe, John Della Volpe, who was, uh, was a pollster for Biden's campaign in 2020. He directs the um, Institute of Politics at Harvard Kennedy School. He wrote a column uh, in the uh, New York Times. And he said, look, young people are, are engaging with the political moment now, a, a, a moment of heightened intensity. They don't have confidence. They're not convinced of the government's commitment to safeguarding the innocent. They see what's going on with Biden, how weak he is, how utterly tentative he is in his response to terror. In fact, he's going in the opposite direction, continuing to fund the terror in countless ways, funding tens of billions of dollars into Iran. Um, and so what's happening? He's losing support among the young people. So using, losing support among the young, using, losing support among blacks, losing support among Latinos. We've, we've, we've reviewed this. Key demographics that the Democrats rely on are sinking and going over the Republicans. Republicans don't need to get 50%. They don't need to get close to that in these demographics. They just need to lower the, the edge, the competitive edge that the Democrats have always had in these particular arenas in order to win and to win big. Final point, I just want to answer what I, I started out by saying and what I titled this broadcast. When President Trump speaks, whether he's sending out a, a tweet, whether he's giving a rally speech, whether he's giving a policy speech, whether he's answering questions for a reporter, or in any other way, when he speaks, there's one thing, brothers and sisters, that you always know. You might not like his sarcasm. I don't mind it myself. You might not like his language. You might not like the way he may attack somebody 
Or you might say, oh, it's not necessary that you say that or that you say this. But listen, what do we want in politics? Do we want a garden of roses? Or do we want somebody who's going to be able to communicate honestly with the American people, communicate in a way that makes our enemies tremble, communicate in a way that intimidates his attackers, and communicate in a way that gets the job done? that knows how to put the pressure in the right places. He knows how to use money, by the way, as a pressure point in negotiating with people. Remember the whole thing with Mexico? Oh, yeah, you're going to give us troops on the border. Oh, you're not going to do that? Okay, we're going we're gonna, to uh, start putting, uh, we're gonna start, start, uh, putting taxes on uh, cars coming in. And, 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 and by using economic leverage, he gets them to agree right away. Or other countries, take back your take back your gangsters. Oh, okay, you're not going to do it. Oh, we're not going to send you any. How much money are we paying these people every year? Right, we're not getting any more money from it. He knows how to leverage money in order to um, get his opponents or get other governments to do what we need them to do for the good of America. For the good of America. NATO, step up to the plate, pay your, your dues. Remember how he handled that? All right, we're, we're, we, won't, we won't protect you then. How he neutralized the threat of North Korea. I have a bigger button than you, than you have, and it works. There's one thing you always know when he speaks, and it's not a question of, oh, I like the way he spoke. Stop putting your own preferences in such a, an important place. Here, this is not the evaluation when it comes to politics. It's amazing how many voters give too much importance to what they like and what they don't like. What does it matter what we like or what we don't like? This is, this is a key teaching here that I'm getting at when it comes to a Christian way of voting. Friends, one of the things that makes a vote a Christian way of voting it's not just where we land on the issues. Yes, we have to protect life. We can't kill babies, religious freedom, etc. But it's the way we evaluate what's important. What's a Christian vote? Well, for one thing, it's a mature vote. And mature means, you know, I'm not the center of gravity. I'm not the center of the universe. My feelings are not the most important thing. Oh, I like this about the candidate. What the difference does that make? I like the way he talks. I like the language he uses. I don't like the language he uses. Please. One thing you always know when he speaks. You know he's telling you the truth. Something you always know when he speaks. You know what he's going to do. If he tells you he's going to do something, or if he tells you under these conditions, unless you do this, I'm doing that, or if you do this, I'm doing that, you know you're hearing the straight story. That's what we need more than flowery language or nice talk. We need straight talk. We need truthful talk. I've had it with those. They say, oh, the, the, the biggest virtue in, in politics is civility. It is not. It's honesty. That's civility enough already. You know, you but is that is that how you want to deal with the terrorists over there in the Middle East? Oh, 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 the biggest the biggest virtue is civility. It's not civility. There's a place for civility, but not in the top of your consideration of what's important. 
We need to know what our leaders are thinking. We need to know what they're promising. And we need to know when we hear their promises that they're telling us the truth. That this is what they really think. That this is what their motives really are. He tells us he loves the country. He's going to do what's right for us. You can count on it. You can count on it. And in as much as any other politician just does that, well then, brothers and sisters, that's what you got to be looking for. Do politicians lie all the time? Yeah. But I've never seen anyone, heard anyone, or seen the evidence of anyone in politics more consistent between what they say and what they do than President Trump. He is serious when he talks. He is serious in what he's saying. He's telling you what is coming from inside of him. Brothers and sisters, enough with the, oh, I don't like this or this or that, this or that language. That's, it's, that's not what's important. He knows how to get the job done. He will get the job done. You will always know what is actually on his mind, whether it's through a tweet or a press conference or a rally speech. Let's continue listening to him. There's been a lot of speeches and addresses. Uh, you always see them on Right Side Broadcasting Network. We, we, we show them, too, on endabortion.tv. Watch them. Share them with others. So, so valuable a preparation for this upcoming election. Let's turn back to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you as we prepare for the election. We thank you for the trends, Lord, so many of which are, are so positive right now. Uh, in our direction, it makes us hold on to great and tremendous hope as we go through the current storm in American political life, the current storm in our country, so much destructive activity at home and abroad. Well, we can hold on to great hope, Lord God, that the voters are waking up, that they are ready for a change, and that they are indeed going to vote these Democrats out of office. Bless us, Lord, as we move forward and enable us to Minister to one another and minister to your people, to minister the truth, to take hold of what is right, to build a nation that secures our God-given rights, starting with the right to life. Lord God, bless the various segments of our, of our electorate that are changing, that are shifting. Continue the momentum of people discovering what is good for them, discovering the truth, discovering whether politicians have their back or not, discovering, Lord, the direction they must go that will give them the best chance of being treated the right way. Thank you, Lord, for the shifts that we do see. More and more people waking up that the Democrats do not have their best interests at heart and cannot fulfill on what is good for them and their families and our country. Lord, we gather up all the prayers and intentions the praises, the gratitude, and the needs of all our viewers, all those prayer intentions being expressed. Give us what we need to serve you and our families. And we now pray in the words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
All right. Thank you, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here. Please connect with me on social media. Love connecting with you there. At FR Frank Pavone is the handle on all the major platforms. See you there on Truth Social and all the other platforms. At FR Frank Pavone. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. Priests for Life, saving lives for over 30 years. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.